I join with the other leaders and welcome you into God's house today. I would like to thank my wife for that special prayer. And I want you to know that I feel honored to be with you, although there's a big preacher in town. I want you to know that there's no bigger preacher than the Word of God, and that wherever God's Word is preached, it's just a matter of opinion of what's best and what's good. It's just the Word of God. But I come to you today in the name of the Lord. And it is in his name that I present his word to you. Bow your heads with me. Father, we have come into your house today. We ask that as we open your word, your, your word will be a source of strength, rejuvenation, commitment, and an opportunity to be drawn closer to you. I ask, O oh God, for your blessings, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In his book, Booker T. Washington tells the intriguing story of an ex-slave from Virginia. In his book, Up From Slavery, Washington tells us that he found a man who had made a contract with his master just about two or three years prior to the Emancipation Proclamation. The contract that he made with his master to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself out of slavery by paying so much per year for his own body. And while he was paying for himself, he was to be permitted to labor wherever and for whomever he pleased. Washington, as he explained the intriguing contract of a man who was buying himself out of slavery, tells us that the man who was living in Richmond, Virginia, found that he could make better wages in Cincinnati, Ohio, moved to Ohio. When freedom came and the Emancipation Proclamation was made, he was still in debt to his master some $300. That's the equivalent of about $25,000 today. Notwithstanding that the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to that master, that man walked from Ohio to Virginia each month, paying his way out of slavery, and placed the last dollar with interest in the hands of his master, five years after the Emancipation Proclamation. In talking to me, said Washington, about the man, the man told me, he said, that he knew he did not have to pay the debt, but that he had given his word to his master. And his word he had never broken since he left Africa. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom till he had fulfilled his promise with the master. I read this story and I thought to myself, what an intriguing story of one man keeping his promise and an intriguing story of faithfulness to honor one's word. When I listened to this, to read this story, I came to the conclusion that if I were, and I asked myself the rhetorical question, if I, the preacher today before you, were in this position, what would I have done? What would you have done as I stand before you? Your freedom was granted. But this man was charged by his master to make payments to him to buy himself out of slavery just two or three years before the Emancipation Proclamation. 
And even after the Emancipation Proclamation was heralded, he continued to pay the master, not just pay him, but walked hundreds of miles each month just to pay the debt. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, but I wasn't going to pay that. I I'm serious. He's honorable. And some of you here would agree with me and some of you would disagree. But the one thing I like about this man was that he kept his word. Did you not hear he kept his promise. You see, in scripture, when we look at the text, the Bible tells us that in those days, ancient Israel never had contracts. In fact, they said that in ancient Israel, that a deal or an agreement or a contract was simply sealed by one's word. You may not know this, but the practice is still in the Middle East. Whenever people are signing contracts, they don't always use pens and papers as we do in the West. But what they do is they sit at a meal and sit and have a meal and discuss the terms of the agreement. And from there on, they kept their word. In fact, in the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew language, the word dabah, there is no word for promise in ancient Hebrew. The one word that is closest to the English word promise is the word dabah, which simply means my word. As you sit before me today, we as a modern society have moved away from our word. Politicians say whatever they want, promise you hope and promise you everything just to get your vote. Employers promise you grandiose things when you seek a job just to get you working for them. Some of them never kept their word. I had a young lady came to my office one day with tears, said that she was employed in a local company not too far from the hospital, and that when she came from Ohio to work here, they promised her that she'll be doing some field work and they'll give her a car, they'll give her a home, and they'll give her bonus every month on every sale that she made. And when she landed in Florida, the employer recanted on every single word. I'm talking to you today in God's church, God's people, because our word is our honor. Did you hear me? Our word is our honor. We are called by the word to keep our promises. In fact, a lot of times, as God's children, when we go to him promising God to do things, if he would answer our prayers, and once the prayer is answered, sometimes Seventh-day Adventist Christians change their minds on God. In 1 Samuel, the powerful story of Hannah, who was the wife of Elkanah, was barren, couldn't have children. And each year, Elkanah will take her and his second wife, Pinia, up to Israel for the feast days. And when they got there, Pinias and her children would get, all, would get a lot of things from Elkanah. And Pinias would consistently stay in front of her and treated her as if she's nothing. And this woman, when she got to Jerusalem that time, she decided that she was going to ask God for a son. If you look at the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, you would see there that she decided that she was going before God and she was promising God that she would do whatever she can do to keep her word after he blesses her with a son. You should see her. Doctors told her for years, don't come anymore. Nothing we can do for you. Oh, she tried all types of things. 
She tried different things, trying to have a son. Story tells us that she got into the temple and she started praying and she prayed and she prayed and she yearned and she mourned and she groaned so much that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. I don't know what you have in your life today that you need answers to your prayers for. But there is a God who sits high and looks low and knows the crevices of your heart and he is willing to give you whatever you desire. Yes, it's all right to promise that you will do good things if he gives you the blessing, but keep your word. And so she prayed and she prayed. And Eli, Eli came in and saw her and asked her, why are you so drunk? She said, I'm not drunk, my Lord. I am entreating God that he should bless. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you pray and fast until you're weak? Have you ever done that? Oh yeah, I did that. I did that when I wanted a wife. Yes, pray so hard. I did that. I did that when I wanted my green card. Y'all don't act as if you don't know what I'm talking about. Because the, I, the, the INS will, will put you on your knees. Isn't that the truth? Oh, you act as if you don't know. They lose your document. They ask for more documents. They tell you you sent the wrong document. But what I'm saying to you today is that you and I, not only should we keep our word, but when we go before God in prayer, we must agonize because he who hears you in private will reward you openly. And so she was. She stood there before Eli the priest and told him what she had promised God. I want my son when he is born, not if, when he is born, I want him to live in the priest's chambers. I want him to spend his days here. I want him to be here forever. Lo and behold, God answered her prayers. And 1 Samuel tells us that God gave her her son and she called him Samuel. Not only that, but 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that she not only had Samuel, but three other children afterward. God is faithful, is he not? God will honor you. He will give you your heart's desire. He will give you whatever you ask him if you come boldly to the throne of grace. Ask for mercy, peace, and pardon. Not only that, God has promised that if we keep our end of the bargain, he has good things in store for us. Oh, you see, we now live in an age of technology. Sometimes I teach a class at a university called Spirituality in Healthcare. And it's mainly nurses in the class. And one day, one of the nurses asked, why is it we are not seeing miracles as frequent as the Bible explains them? Do you, have, do you know why? Huh? Huh? Pray more? What else? Why is it we are not seeing miracles? Belief, we lack faith, we lack belief. Anything else? We don't recognize them. We are too busy. So we fail to see the little miracles every day as they happen. We live in a fast world. Fast food, you go to McDonald's and in two minutes you have burger and fries. Fast food. When my mother was cooking in the Caribbean when we were growing up, it takes hours and we go to the kitchen. Mom, you're not done yet. These days, you can go to Taco Bell, and in a few minutes, you have food. Fast age. 
You can go on Google and you can check anything. You could go Google too and go to Egypt if you want and see pictures of Egypt. Fast world. But that fastness in technology, that quickness in our economics, that fastness in the food we eat is destroying us. I work in the hospital. And one of the things that I observe, and one of the things I always did from the very first day I started, before I go to the floor, I kneel in the chapel and I simply say this prayer, Lord, show me today what you will do in the lives of your children. You know why? I don't want to be hitting and missing because you know when we are in a spiritual work, we must observe the presence of God. Let me tell you a miracle. One, I'm on the, I work on the 11th floor of the main hospital, the neurocritical floor. Got in there one morning and a young lady, she's 36 years old, she looked at me and she said her spinal column is fusing step by step. And so the doctor is going to do a surgery, she said, in two days to go through her neck and unfuse her spine. That's a big surgery. So she said, Chaplain, I want us to pray that God will give me a safe surgery. What the doctor told her, that there is a 50-50 chance that she just may not live or walk again. In fact, as I spoke to her, both her left arm and left leg were already dead, could not move, 36 years old. Not only that, she turned to me and she said to me, my daughter, since she was 12 years old, four years ago, left home, ran away from home, haven't heard from her, have not seen a trace of her for four years. And ever since that time, I've been going down with my health. And so the second thing I want us to pray for, Chaplain said, I want us to pray that my daughter will return home. And she said the third thing is that I'm about to lose my job because of all this illness. And not only am I about to lose this job, but they called me and told me that I have just about 10 more days before I get the pink slip. Three things. I prayed with her, agonized with her, and then I left the room. Two days later, she had the surgery. It was successful. Not only that, Later that night, they called me because I was working 2 to 10. They called me and told me, the nurse said, the patient in room 1 wants to speak to you. Ran upstairs. Well, no, no, no. I ran to the elevator. 40, I can't run up, them, run up those. Not as young as I used to be. <laughs> and so I ran to the elevator and got up to the last floor, ran into her room. I was anxious. And as I walked in, she simply said, God answered our prayer. My daughter just called me. My dear friends, I've come today to tell you very simply. God does not require any big thing from us as his children. He requires us to keep our end of the bargain. You must keep your end of the bargain because God never fails. The problem is not that God is not hearing your prayers. The problem is not God that the God has shut you off. The problem is that God noticed that you are not keeping your end of the bargain. God's answers to prayers are conditional. It depends on you as much as it depends on him. Uh, the story of Hannah is one that invites us to draw closer to God. It offers us an opportunity to recognize how much he cares for us, how much he loves us, how much he understands us, how much he needs us to know that he's willing to give us anything we ask for. He's willing to stand by us. He is willing to give you all that your heart desires. We must keep his promises. 
His promises are sure. He made those promises to us. The thing is, too many times we are distracted by life. The fast life. The life circumstances. Many people work 40 hours. Some work 60 hours. I met a lawyer. He told me he works 80 hours a week. And I had one simple question for him. So when do, do you see your family? He said, oh, they understand that I must work. You know what's happening as a result of all that work? Your family is walking away from you a little by little, step by step. Not wanting, not really walking out the door as you are working, but they are literally becoming farther and farther away from you. I've come today to remind you that not only should we keep our word to God, but we must also remember that God loves us unreservedly. God loves us unreservedly. God cares for us to the extent that he has made certain promises to us. But the promises are conditional. What can be said about God's promises to us? Remember, he had promised to supply our every need. Did the Bible not say, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus? I want you to know that this text, Philippians 4.19, God has obligated himself only to, ex to the extent of our needs. So that luxury car that you're looking for is not in need. That expansive home it's not a need. When the text says that God shall supply all your needs, that includes food, clothing, shelter, companionship, love, and salvation through Jesus Christ. Not only that, God has promised that his grace is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. In fact, he has made provision for our salvation by his grace through faith. In Ephesians 2.8, the Bible says, It is true and obedient faith that we have access into God's grace. It's conditional. God is not one of those foolish fathers who have a lot of things and just throw them on their children. God is a wise God to the extent that he not only promises to provide all our needs, but he said his grace is, is sufficient in time of need. The third promise that I want to share with you today is that God has promised that his children will not be overtaken with temptation. Do you understand the text? Instead, God is not saying that you will not be tempted. What he is in fact saying, he assures us that a way of escape will be provided through him. That's another promise. Another promise that God has made. He said, God has promised us victory over death. I tell you, I'm on this floor in the hospital and I'm having an average of two to three deaths a week. We're dying like flies. Aneurysm, aneurysm, stroke. People are dying. Dying, young and old, an 18-year-old girl came to the hospital, had a brain cancer, 18. The young lady, as I visited her, said to me, she said, Chaplain, I was preparing to go to UCF. I bought all my books already. I have everything at home. And then this happened. I just fainted after we came out of Walmart, 18. I couldn't help. I broke down in tears, crying with her. 
You know why? I have children that are about that age. In fact, my second daughter just went to Oakwood. And in July, the very same time, we were preparing for her to go to school. So I completely identified with what this young lady was going through. Met another young lady. She is 25 years old. Brain cancer. Another young lady who was a banker. 30 years old. Brain cancer. Dying. And when they have aneurysm and stroke and so on and are non-responsive, the, the only thing left to do is to pull the plug. So every week, it's like a factory. You're pulling the plug. Of course, with family consent. But what I'm saying to you is that we have come to an age in which we are taking things for granted, but we are living in serious times. One man walked out of the job, walked, finished working one afternoon about 4.30, and as he was boarding the bus, he fell on the steps going up in the bus and dropped unconscious. And they brought him to the hospital. There was cancer all over his body, all over. And don't you sit there before me and think because you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you eat good, you know we talk about eat good, that you are, this can't happen to you. There are some Seventh-day Adventists in there too. What I'm showing you is that we have come to difficult times in earth's history. And what is about to happen, we have to be prepared for it. We have to hold fast on God's promises. And we have to keep our end of the bargain. I wanted to tell you a story of a little girl. She's 10 years old. The doctor described her cancer as carcinoma. Spread from the brain down to her vital organs. 11 years old. And I went to visit with her, and these were her words. She said, who are you? I said, I'm the chaplain. She said, they didn't tell you that I don't like chaplains? So I said, well, why? Why don't you like? I don't like pastors, and I don't like chaplains, and I don't like 11 years old. So I said, well, why? That's interesting. I never heard anyone say that to me. She said, well, I don't like them because they don't always keep their word. 11 years old, and you must understand that children are most honest. What they tell you is what they think. You know, sometimes you are a church member and a lot of you go around and greet people and you really don't like them. Children don't do that. They're going to tell you up front, I don't like you. So the young lady, she then turned to me and she said, well, why did you come here today? 11 years old. I was already shy because braver than I. I said, well, I came because I think when I prayed, she told me to come and visit you. She said, well, Jesus told you to come here? I said, to visit all the patients. I'm not going to lie to her. All the patients. And then she turned to me and she said, well, in that case, you can come in. We sat down for half an hour. We had a conversation. I asked her, well, how do you feel about being sick? First, I was sad. I was, I was broken. I didn't know what to do. But now, that's okay. Heaven is better than earth. How many of you think that? How many of you live that? Heaven is better than earth. I mean, there are some seven vendors. I went to a friend's house. We became friends recently. And I went to his house. And some of you may not want to invite me to your house because I'm going to look around. And, 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 and I went to his house. He had 11 cars. What do you want to do with 11 cars? What are you going to do with 11 cars? You can only drive one at a time. And when I tell you, <laughs> you're going to drive them? <laughs> and when I tell you 11 cars, I'm not talking cheap cars. Mercedes. BMWs, 11 in 11, in 12 gar garages. He has 12 garages. He had a guard at the gate. He lived in style. But you see, I think that when we have that, those kinds of luxury, that we really don't long for Jesus to come. I think so. I think we become comfortable. Because he has a man who cleans those cars every day and keeps them shine. 
Now, don't you think that man could be out there giving some tracks to folks and telling them about Jesus rather than cleaning cars? Oh, you don't agree with me? <laughs> the time to which we have come is so crucial that none of us seated before me and I standing before you knows what the next minute holds when you walk through that door. One man, all these are patients I experienced in a matter of three months since I'm at the main hospital. One man was in church worshiping, told his wife he was going to the restroom, but one of the other members saw him staggering as he was going out, as if he was drunk, he, he were drunk, going out. And the member followed him, and as he got into the restroom, he collapsed, became unconscious, came to the hospital, had an aneurysm. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you these things that you may refocus as the, the year ends. If you're not walking too right with Jesus, now is the time to change that. If, if you are thinking, if you are thinking that the church is a waste of time, now is the time to change that. If you're thinking that this church is boring and that you're going to go somewhere else, okay, no problem. But hear the joke. These days, people are saying that the church all over is boring. In fact, an atheist wrote an article and said that the churches are so hyped up these days with music sounding like secular music. An atheist, this is what he wrote. And then he said they spend most of their time with loud music and when the section that it should be most important comes, they're ready to go, they make the message short, and they get nothing from the service except emotions. An atheist. I came today, and I don't know why, just to remind you that this is December 13th. The year is ending. And a lot of you must realize there's a need to refocus. As I conclude, I have one more promise. And this promise comes from John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That promise is sure. Oh, you may say, my grandmother told me that. She's dead. The promise is not fulfilled. You may say, oh, my mother told me she's dead. And the promise is not fulfilled. Or you may say, I heard that since I was a little boy. And the promise is still not. I was talking, this is my conclusion, I was talking to a member of our church the other day. And he was saying, in fact, three of us were together, and he was saying that the country changes, and people are destroying the value of the country with all the rights they're giving all people. And he turned to me and he said, I want us to go back to the good old days. You know, he's an elderly church member, right? I want us to go back to the good old days where we used to live as a nation in peace and have our values intact. What about, do you want to go back to the good old days? Here's what I turned to him and I said. I said, I don't want to go back to any good old days. Because in the good old days, my poor parents were slaves. I don't want to go back to the good old days. Because in the good old days, it was further to Jesus' coming. So I want things to hasten. I want him to make crazy laws in Washington. I want him to pass the Sunday. Y'all don't want it? I know you're afraid. I want him to pass the Sunday law. I want him to pass all the moral laws they want. Because Christ will not come until radical things happen. So let them do what they want to do. They can go and pass all the gay things they want. That's their business. And you may not agree with me. But it is in those changes that the rapid movements will occur and Christ will come. 
You can't have it fine and dandy and then go to heaven. You must understand that these changes are hastening the coming of Christ. It's just the start. They're going to tell you, you know, how you worship here. They're going to say you have to close those churches. And then you know what you'll rely on in those days? What you have studied from the word. Some of you will be taken to court. Some of you will be beaten. Some of you will be killed. Are you ready? Because that's dressed around the corner. And I said, Lord, help me to do what's right so that I can make it. And when that time comes, prepare me so that I can make it into your kingdom. I'm not asking them to change legislation in Washington. No, let them do what they have to do. I will focus on Christ and him crucified. I thank you for your time. I thank you for listening, not to this, the flashy sermon down the road, but to the word of God that coming soon and that you must be prepared. I want to be the first to say today, Lord, take me fresh, mold me like the potter would with the clay, the fashion you want me to be. Because if you are like Jesus wants you to be, you'll be all right. Is there anybody else who want to say that? Just stand to you. Praise God. Praise God.